instead of letting fear be sort of a red flag, let it be the yellow flag that says, no, walk this way. Come and see what's on the other side of that fear. You can't really walk around fear. You just kind of have to walk through it. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, Jessica Honiger is the author of Imperfect Courage, Live a Life of Purpose by Leaving Comfort and Going Scared, and the founder of a socially conscious fashion brand called Noonday, which also happens to be the world's most successful fair trade fashion brand. And in her book, Jessica shares the powerful story of Noonday. The story of Noonday is so much bigger than Jessica, though. It's the story of all of the artisans around the world. It's the story of the entrepreneurs in young America. And it's the story of her family. It's the story of coming back from failure and setbacks and testing things. This story all began with a trip to Washington, D.C., where Jessica was shown poverty firsthand for the first time. And it was this moment that sparked the bravery in her to see this context of living outside of her own bubble, living outside of herself, and being willing to go and pioneer a new script. You see, Jessica grew up in a community where everyone followed a very traditional script that had a very narrow view of success. But being exposed to this Life in Washington, D.C. inspired Jessica to forge forward and write a new script. She didn't always have the support of everyone she grew up with. And in fact, she didn't even always have the support of the voice in her head. But she had to walk through her fear to reach the life of impact and meaning that she was destined for. Because as Jessica shares, we cannot let fear be a red flag. In fact, we have to view it as a yellow flag that means no, walk this way and come see what's on the other side of that fear. You can't really walk around fear, you just have to walk through it. And when you read Imperfect Courage and after you listen to this conversation with Jessica, it will guide you through these same steps so that you can live the life of impact and meaning that you were meant to live too. Bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Jessica Honiger, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show, especially after you have been a busy traveling uh, entrepreneur the last couple of weeks. And so we're very grateful for your time today. I'm excited to chat with you. Yes. I always kick things off with the origin story and where, where my guests you know, kind of hail from. But even before we get there, I was thinking about the book writing process. Mm. Right? I, I am I just actually finished writing my first book. Congratulations. It, it, thank you. It's it's uh, in editing right now. I just 
I'm self-publishing, but I have a team of people that I'm working with through this self-publishing company. That's awesome. And um, and so you know, I understand the process, the, right? The daunting <laughs> nature of it all, the putting yes. things together, all of this stuff. So even before we get into your origin story, I want to kind of jump ahead first, and then we'll go. Okay. Back. What was your process like? What what was it like <laughs> sitting down day one? Typing those first few words, any of your OMG moments, any of your like, what the heck am I doing here moments? What what was the process? Right. You know, for me, I I'm the CEO of my company. And so so much of the process was about getting the team on board that this is what I was going to be doing because I still am very involved in the business and it's hard to really step away. So a lot of the process was the pre-process. So working with my business partner and co-CEO to really align on the outcomes and the purpose for writing the book and also to really understand the stories that we were wanting to tell. Noonday Collection actually owns the book. So I personally don't own it. And so some of it was also working through what is this book? And it's it's so much more than me. Maya Angelou says, I come as one, I stand as 10,000. And that is just so true for this book in particular, because it's the story of Noonday and the story of Noonday is so much bigger than me. Mm-hmm. It's the story of artisans around the world. It's the story of entrepreneurs here in America. It's the story of my partner and I, uh, my family. So um, I would say at first it was really aligning on what is our approach and our outcome of the book. I didn't really approach it as like, I have this burning story in my heart and I want to go to the cabin in the woods with a pack of cigarettes and a <laughs> glass of whiskey and just, you know, hole up and write. <laughs> you know, I really came came at it from a business perspective and thought, how can we elevate the brand, elevate the business while also catalyzing people to live more courageous lives? Mm-hmm. And then from there, realizing that I am collaborative in nature and I couldn't just step away from my business role completely. So I knew that I did need a team, a team to come come along around me. And so then I hired a midwife to really help me frame the book, structure the book. We really sat down together with a table of people and outlined the book together and dug through treasure troves of stories and speeches I'd given. And um, so it really was a very much a collaborative process. Um, and then I pulled alongside of me with me our we have a content strategist who's written for me for about six years and written for Noonday. And so we got her involved. And then also um, my corporate strategist, who has just this extremely rare gift of being able to take 10,000 words and refine them into 10 words and say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of it for me was understanding who was going to be involved in the process, what was the outcome going to be, and how are we going to approach it. And then a lot of it then was just hammering it out and allowing the process to be what it is. And, you know, Anne Lamont has that phrase, the shitty first draft. And just yeah. knowing that that's that that's what this is. It's it's a messy process. And I'm I'm a super iterative person, mm. almost to a fault. And you know, how many iterations? I mean, I think I ended up turning in a hundred thousand word manuscript. Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
So I'm telling you, there were just, there's just so, so I think I see myself primarily as a storyteller more than as a writer. And I'm really feel like I am just the steward of stories. And Mm -hmm. and so it was really like, how are we going to do this in a way that's really dignified, that's empowering? I mean, we had to go get permission. I mean, any name who's mentioned in the book, I mean, some of these people many times like... You know, I think of one person who doesn't, he, she speaks a very a distinct Mayan language. You know, she doesn't even speak Spanish. So it was like, mm. how, how are we going to go about getting her permission? And so it was, a, it was an intricate process. There were a lot of cooks in the kitchen. And I think the thing I'm most thankful for is, is being an entrepreneur, someone who is extremely biased towards action and who's been in sort of that building phase for the last eight years. It was seven years when I started writing the book. It was such a gift to just stop and mm-hmm. remember and reflect and mm-hmm. actually see like what are the different threads over the past eight years that you know when you're building a business, you just don't really take as much time as we could to stop and reflect and remember. And that was such a beautiful and beneficial process um, that I think I'm still bearing the fruit of that. And mm-hmm. it just brought a lot of clarity to me and to the team and to the brand because, you know, the book bears the name of Noonday Collection, you know, and so we wanted to be sure that it was, it was brand appropriate. So it helped our team to also refine, um, how we were going to storytell. So it was, it's interesting. Like it's a very unique situation because I'm not a solopreneur. There, I felt very much the high stakes of the book because um, it wasn't just me. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, my name's on the cover, but yeah, but it represents the entire company. It does, and, and everybody behind it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so love, that that was hard. I love that you use the word reflect. I'm I'm really really into words and the meaning of words. Do you know what that word means? No. It means to bend back time or direct light or heat onto something. Wow. Mm. And, I love that. And so when you reflect, I mean, and we don't do it enough in society because we're operating at this urgent pace. Right. We totally have forgotten everything that Stephen Covey taught us about, mm-hmm. you know, things, not everything is important and urgent, yeah. but we treat everything as such and mm-hmm. we lose the opportunity to bend back time and reflect. And when we do reflect, even if it's in the moment, it gives us the opportunity to respond instead of react. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I am someone who actually it has shown in like my personality tests that I, I'm like future oriented, but everything needed to be done yesterday. So mm-hmm. I do have that urgent bias towards action, which is a beautiful thing when you're an entrepreneur. It gets you up, it gets you going, it gets you not overthinking too much. Um, at the same time, you know, we're in a different phase. We're not in the startup phase anymore. We really are in the building phase. And what is the foundation that we're building to have a long-term sustainable business that's changing the world? And reflection is a crucial piece in that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't... I, honestly, the process was so good for me that I want to write another book. But I mm-hmm. don't... I have no idea what I would write it on. <laughs> I really... It's just because I want to be able to go through that process again. Yeah. Of, of reflecting and and then responding, yeah. That's that's so cool. That's so cool. Well, let's jump backwards in time now 
Uh, and we'll go back to your origin story. And the way I, I've been doing this is I use a quote to kind of stimulate the conversation. Mm-hmm. And this time I looked up a quote about bravery and and I picked a JK Rawlings quote. Okay. Okay. She said, it takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to our enemies, but just as much to stand up to our friends. Hmm. Which I really, really thought was profound and simple and insightful. And so I actually think sometimes it takes more bravery to stand up to our friends. But mm. so the first question I have for you as it relates to your origin story and that question is who represented bravery to you growing up? You know, that is a really good question. And I think for me, I my definition definition of bravery growing up, I think is what has changed so much. And it was almost what led to this book, because I think what I, when I saw bravery, I saw Martin Luther King. And I know you're probably looking for maybe someone real in my life, but to me, Martin Luther King has just been someone who's always stood out to me as being obviously someone who did stand up and who started a movement. I actually, when I was in the eighth grade, I went with my church to go volunteer in the inner city of Washington, D.C. And I'd never had been in sort of a more impoverished setting in America before. I definitely grew up in more of a privileged upper middle class setting. And when I went into this neighborhood, I was exposed to this church and it's called Church of the Savior. And it was founded by a guy named Gordon Crosby. And Gordon actually walked and marched in Selma and was involved in the civil rights movement. And they really believed in racial reconciliation and really believed in building bridges and being around, not just going in and quote unquote serving, but really living equally among people that look differently, that had different backgrounds. And I think that's what really sparked bravery in me was mm. was kind of seeing um, this context of living outside of my own bubble, living outside of myself, being willing to go pioneer a new script. I, I grew up in a, a beautiful community in Texas that definitely had a more traditional scripts for, for men and women and more traditional scripts for what, what defines success. And it was definitely more defined by, you know, social status and, you know, your career. Um, for a woman, it was more who you married and, you know, your, your family. And I think being exposed to this church and to Gordon Crosby, who, emulated Martin Luther King just really made me realize, man, I, I think I want to write a new script. You know, mm-hmm. I want to go outside the script that, that's that been laid out before me. And I ended up uh, my freshman year after college going and living full-time in the inner city then in DC. And it was, it was extremely formative for me. Mm-hmm. So I would say that MLK via Gordon Crosby <laughs> wow. is what really sparked bravery for me. I love that. What was the most profound lesson or experience you had during your time, uh, during your freshman year of college serving that community? Mm-hmm. I had never been a minority before. I remember taking a bus with... So all the women that I lived with were African-American. And I'm just so... I'm so humbled in reflection that they would even let me in because I'm like this uppity 18-year-old white girl. 
He's coming in and saying like, I was literally the one that just had to... It it was a very strict environment because these are women who are coming out of addiction. And so one way to, you know, it it was creating structure and providing structure. And so if they broke a curfew, they would get written up. And I mean, I'm the person writing them up. I mean, that's ridiculous. So I just remember riding with this woman named Phyllis and we took the bus over to her old neighborhood and I went to church with her. I'm the only white person on the bus. I'm the only white person at her church. And she's telling me stories on the way about, you know, her son and her uncles. And I think that I was just so humbled that, you know, I would be invited in to to her story. And I think it just uh, really impacted me just to experience what it is to be a minority. And it really gave me a lot of empathy and and, and more understanding than I had before for our minority friends here in America. So I think that impacted me. And then also just this idea that I didn't want to live a life where I was around sameness. You know, I've gone on to now go adopt a little boy who is from Africa. And I think I'm just very much attracted to diversity, diversity of color, of experience, of culture. And I'm really grateful for uh, those women because I think they kind of showed me that it was accessible. You know, mm, mm, I love that powerful story. So maybe it could be a long, and, you know, as a, th- this next question, it could tie, you know, segue into a different part of your origin story, or we can continue, you know, pulling on this thread about your experience in DC, but who were some of the enemies that you had to face down? So this is a tough question because I am not someone who I kind of feel make generous assumptions about others. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I'm like, I I don't really, you know, when I think of enemies, you know, I think about the justice work that Noonday Collection is doing. They could be real or unreal, by the way. They don't have to necessarily be a physical person. Okay. Well, then I would say our biggest enemy is ourself and our limiting beliefs and the voices that tell us that, no, you need to go follow that script of sameness because if you don't, then you'll end up feeling alone and live a very lonely life or whatever it is that you're ascribing to that limiting belief. So I think one of my biggest limiting beliefs was that Like I said, I think growing up in a more traditional home, and even though my dad is this like raging Texan entrepreneur, Vietnam vet, and I totally take after my dad, we're, we're, my mom calls us the Los Mismos because we are so similar to one another. Um, My mom is very much, she is more of a, a peacekeeper. She doesn't like to rock the boat. Conflict really freaks her out. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up with this, you know, a female model that was very different than me, and then a male model that was similar to me. And I think that did create sort of a dial, an internal dialogue of like, do I speak up like my dad and take the bull by the horns, or do I stay quiet like my mom? Is that what what a woman is supposed to do? So I would say that was one of my big grapplings, like my internal reckonings Mm. was kind of just coming to terms with who I am as a woman. And, you know, as a, as a leader, as someone who's always kind of been more of that person of influence and really owning that Mm. and owning paradox and being able to know I can be ambitious and feminine. Mm -hmm. I can be strong and beautiful, you know, like all of these things, I think that we box ourselves in and I think learning how to embrace paradox has freed me from 
paralysis of perfectionism that can kind of keep you thinking you you have to be one way and not both ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely not an either or scenario. It's a both and. You know, it reminds me of like, you know, the the story of David versus Goliath, you know, and, and specifically, you know, when, when we think about, um, the moment where David walks into this, the tent and he, and he says, you know, to King Saul that he wants to fight Goliath on behalf of the Israelites because everybody else is busy hiding in the trenches. Mm -hmm. Um, or King Saul says, okay, you could do it, but you got to put your, you got to wear my armor. Mm. Um, and so David puts the armor on and, you know, walks around it and realizes that it's not for him and he, he's not going to be able to do it right. Now, we have a lot of people in our life that are like King Saul. Mm. Not necessarily in the, you know, I think probably King Saul wanted, wanted uh, David to wear his armor out of self-preservation, not necessarily right. out of love because it would look really bad on the king if a young shepherd boy died at the hands of a nine-foot giant. Right. But there are a lot of people, friends, family members that would look at your path Mm -hmm. Of you know rejecting this idea that you know I can't be feminine and ambitious. I can't be strong and beautiful. I can't be white and serve a black community. I can't mm -hmm. be. I can't you know reject the stereotypes. You know there are a lot mm -hmm. of people that that love us and they have their own fears and limiting beliefs and they project that. On us and Brene, your good friend Brene Brown talks about yeah. it. And yet we have to have the courage to take our their armor off. Right, right. And to pick up the five smooth stones that have existed mm. before we existed mm. and walk out and face the battle using the skills, abilities that we know that we possess that have been tested and that we've proven. Mm -hmm. And so, how did you go about? Approaching your friends, being brave mm. to your friends who were telling you, no, 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 you're making a mistake mm. and we're trying to prevent you, maybe out of love, maybe out of fear, uh, from pursuing the things that you ultimately did, whether it's serving in the inner cities of Washington, D.C. or starting a company like Noonday. Mm -hmm. First of all, I'm sure that's all in your book, isn't it? Uh, part of it is yes. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Just making sure. Just that, making sure. That 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 part is actually in the intro. Okay, good, good. Yeah. I love it. I love that. I'd actually never heard it framed like that. So, well, here's the other thing about that, though. Real quick, since we're just talking about it, he walks into King and King Saul's tent, and then he walks out. But along the way, as he's leaving, as he's walking away from the king's throne, and he's walking toward the exit. Imagine that he is passing in the middle of that tent all of the modern weapons right. that could possibly be available. So true. And he walks out with just his slingshot. It's what he knew. You know? Yeah. And so it's just like gives me chills. It's powerful. It's so vulnerable. You know? Anyway, yeah. but back to you. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You know, after, so after college, I ended up moving overseas and worked with an organization called Food for the Hungry. And that's probably when my parents were pretty like, you're never going to meet a husband. <laughs> and like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> my mom even said, 
I wish I'd had another daughter. Now she tells me to this day that that what she meant was an additional daughter. (laughs) That is not what I heard at the time. That is not what I heard at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I think that, you know, on one hand, did I have people thinking, oh, Jessica, crazy, you know, going off and moving overseas or doing these crazy things. But on the other hand, you know, I have to say my parents really saw a fire in me and they did let it burn. I mean, I went to DC in the eighth grade. I actually went to Africa for the first time when I was 15 and on an all adult trip and my parents will let me. So in some ways, you know, it's interesting because, you know, they really, um, in some ways encouraged me moving in this direction at the same time you can't become what you don't see. And so if I, I didn't have these models of, especially, I mean, social entrepreneurship, you know, a CEO, you know, when I, when I started the business and then suddenly now I'm like a mom with three little kids starting a social impact business. I mean, I literally, there was no one. And that is when I started to read a lot of Brene and started sort of that process of taking off Saul's armor and walking out with my slingshot and realizing like, I didn't need to keep looking at what other people had. I needed to focus on what I had and bring that to bear Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. living my purpose, you know? And I think that's, now I think so much of the journey of my book is like, I think sometimes we want to go through all of this, this journey, but of like, okay, well, let me figure out what the armor is that I'm putting on and what am I good at? And like, we want to take personality tests to figure that out. And I'm of like, give, give me a slingshot and let's just go and figure it out and see if we can actually slay Goliath, you know? Mm -hmm. So I have a bias towards action. And that really is what my book is about. It's about going scared. It's about Mm -hmm. not waiting on the right time and the right resources. And until you have the right adequacy or the right attitude, but simply pick up the slingshot and go. Because otherwise Um, it'll never happen. It won't ever happen because we never get into a state of 100% confidence and adequacy and the right timing and all of that. At least, Mm -hmm. I mean, I haven't met anyone to date that I can think of that, you know, felt Mm -hmm. 100%, you know. And so, um, you know, I think that on one hand, you know, while people were definitely looking at me like, oh, what are you doing? Um, Moving out to the middle of nowhere, 21 years old, um, at the same time, like, I did it. And, you know, I do sometimes still think about it. Honestly, I think about, you know, taking the family and moving away for a year. And I can still, because I'm the story, chief storyteller of our company, I I can still make it work into my role. Mm -hmm. And, but I've thought recently this week, because I just got back from Guatemala last night and I was like, man. I would love to just bring my family down here and live down here. And um, then I'm like, yeah, and I'd also love to go to India for a while with the kids and my husband. And then I started thinking about all the places (laughs) that I want us to just go. And I'm like, why don't we pick up and go? And then it's like, oh, that's crazy. Because if I did it two years from now, my daughter would be a sophomore in high school. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, who does that? Who does that to their kid, takes them out of the teenage life and like travels the world Mm -hmm. with your preteens and teenagers and... You know, but then I think, you know, that can be the enemy, right? So, mm-hmm. but again, that's coming from me. It's, it's like me projecting onto how I, how I would per- be perceived by others. Mm-hmm. So I just think our limiting beliefs mainly start with us. 
Mm-hmm. And it's when we're able to fully own our own story and take off the armor and grab the slingshot that we don't really, we aren't thinking that much about what other people are thinking or projecting onto us. Yeah. And, you know, and that's really, I mean, the journey of my book is this internal reckoning that we go through on sort of recognizing these internal voices that do hold us back and want to keep us seated. And then, the second part of the book really is about now going and doing that with others. I'm not suggesting that we're supposed to just live this life ambivalent of what other people think. Mm-hmm. I believe we're supposed to partner with other people, but I think also we can put a lot more on others, you know, um, than we do on ourselves. Or we can, you know, it's like the blame game. And I guess I'm just not so into the blame game. So I just don't think as much about how other people have held me back. I think more about how I've held myself back. Mm -hmm. I love that. And you know what? The truth is, is that if you did not write your own script, if you did not have a bias toward action, if you did not take, you know, be, if if you weren't allowing yourself to be completely naive and continue to take action, regardless of what other people thought, you would not, Noonday would not be the world's most successful fair trade fashion brand. Right. That's true. Which is, you know, that that was in a Forbes article. And it is the world's most successful fair trade fashion brand. And you got there by rejecting the script that other people wanted to write for you, the armor that they wanted to put on you. Mm-hmm. When, when you hear that, mm-hmm. when you hear Noonday, the mm-hmm. world's most successful fair trade fashion brand, mm-hmm. what do you think? Well, that honestly, I will say in starting the business, people did say you're never gonna be able to scale this because it is, it is handmade. It's fair trade. It's a B corporation. So it's not, it's profit. People planet are all equal stakeholders. And yeah, I mean, definitely people tell you, you can't, you're not, it's not going to work. I had that happen for sure. I had that happen. And, you know, maybe uh, I thought maybe it's not going to work. I mean, we're still nowhere near the scale of where we want to be. And so, frankly, when I hear that, I'm I'm always thinking about our potential and not about Mm. where we currently are. So... Mm. I, I I know I know that I'm perceived as successful and that the brand is perceived as successful, but I don't actually feel that success because mm-hmm. I only see the potential of where we're going. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that's kind of the strength and a weakness of an entrepreneur is we're constantly thinking about the future and the living in the realm of possibility, but then that can prevent us from actually like soaking in the present. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that my business partner and I, we just we both have a lot of fun and in like living in the realm of possibility and pushing the envelope and really being a fair trade business that's scalable really excites us because a lot of people in this kind of handmade artisan made fair trade business think that you know it it, it isn't scalable mm-hmm. and um we've done a lot of the legwork to really ensure that it is and you know we are scaling it at a pretty fast tick. So it, that that part's been kind of fun to prove people wrong, I guess. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just one of those people, you tell me I can't do something. I mean, mm-hmm. it's reverse psychology really works <laughs> well on me, you know? Watch me. Yeah, you're <gasps> like, am. you know, I mean, basically that's what David said when, his, when he showed up to the battlefield and his brothers were hiding in the trenches. 
And they said, go back and take care of your flock. And he said, oh yeah, watch me. Watch me. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty bad. I mean, I'm, I need, yeah. But you have the humility to understand at the same time that you never arrive at mastery. Yeah, never. You know, that mastery, that, that's the myth. Myths of mastery is that right. there is no mastery. Right, right. You're it's always, so there's nothing that you're arriving. Yeah, there's no at. arrival point, you know? you know? I think that's what's, that is what's interesting. And I think that's what one of, one of the tricks that people's minds play on them is that they think they that you or Brene or Simon Sinek or whomever has mastered something and has arrived. Right. And that is what attributes to our success. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, yeah, no. I mean, we're still building the plane as it's flying in the air, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the Impact Entrepreneur told you to call. What do you think are the most common misperceptions that people make when it comes to taking risk? I think people do have this myth of fearlessness that people who take risks aren't afraid. And that really is my book is debunking that myth mm-hmm. because it's saying, you know what, you can be really afraid and just as afraid of failure and you can just go anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think that in order to do that, it is really learning to, to understand that your identity can't be tied in the outcome, whatever outcome it is. If the outcome success or if it's failure, you cannot tie your identity to that outcome because then you will go down with that outcome. Mm-hmm. And I think it's being able to... Vulnerabilities taking that meaningful risk without knowing the outcome and when we can be vulnerable and you know take off the armor then you know i think we can really step into our own authentic stories and you know i think part of that authenticity is being able to own our own self doubt and our own fear and not let not be limited by that mm. and instead use that as a catalyst to move us forward it's it's kind of like you know i'm saying when other person says like you can't do that. And I'm like, watch me. It's like mm-hmm. doing that to ourselves. Like mm-hmm. we tell ourselves you can't do that. And like, we need to be able to stand up to ourselves and say, mm-hmm. you know what, just watch me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just realized that we're doing our listeners a disservice because it's not like you woke up one day and said, I'm going to start a, the world's most successful fair trade fashion brand. Right. Your, your story led to the story of noonday and and your story led to discovering other people's stories which then led to the story of noonday and that that actually is part of the so my book is a parable it's called master the key a story to free your potential Mm -hmm. and and the first piece of the key is mastering your story Mm. and 
And so I would love for you just to take a couple minutes, you know, or however long you want to go back um, to what was going on in your life that in the door that you stepped into that then created the the chance for you to see an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my husband and I had two kids biologically and we wanted to grow our family. We wanted a third kid and decided that we wanted to adopt. And so we began to research that process, foster care, domestic adoption, international adoption. And we even flew over to Africa to sort of research what the international adoption process would be over there. We went to East Africa to Uganda. And on that trip, we met up with some friends of mine who were there to create entrepreneurial opportunities for Ugandans. And one of the businesses that they were helping to get off the ground was with a young couple named Jalia and Daniel. And Jalia and Daniel were extremely talented, but extremely poor. And they were eating one meal a day. Their kids weren't in school. But my friends saw so much potential in them. So they paid them to make some beautiful jewelry and some other art, um, batik and different things. And my friends then sent the stuff back to America. I think one church did a little fundraiser thing. And then the rest of it just went into storage. And on that trip to Uganda, they said, Hey, we've got all this stuff sitting in storage. You know, We think it could really be sellable. Would you be interested in selling it? And I kind of laughed them off because I had two kids. My husband and I were in real estate. I was not looking to start another business at all. We were about to start the adoption process. And I was like, Oh, that's sweet of you to think of me. How cute. <laughs> nope. And came home from that trip. We decided that we did want to adopt internationally. We started the process actually in Rwanda, which is right next to Uganda in East Africa. We began the paperwork trail. We're about halfway through the paperwork when the recession hit Austin and our real estate business came crumbling down before our eyes. And yet we still owed thousands of dollars in order to complete this adoption. And I knew I needed to start something. So I recalled, reflected... (laughs) back on that conversation that I had with my friends in Uganda. And I'm like, hmm, maybe that's not such a bad idea after all. And I called them up and I said, hey, is that offer still on the table? And they said, absolutely. So I went to the storage unit and I dusted everything off. And I invited a bunch of women into my home one night. I invited my friends and asked my friends to bring their friends and their friends to bring their friends. And women really responded to the product. They really thought it was beautiful. And they also really wanted to rally around us and this adoption story. And I just realized that night something special was happening, that women were wanting to use their purchasing power for good. They were wanting to rally around me and my story. They were wanting to give Jolly and and Daniel this opportunity. And they loved the product. And there was this one necklace in particular that women just wanted more of and it sold out. And so women were like, are you going to get more of this? Like, I'll open my home. And so literally the next day, I texted my friends back in Uganda and I said, it's it's almost all sold out. And they said, well, why don't you take that money and just you know buy more product? We'll connect you directly to Jolly and Daniel and see if you can give this a go. So I started communicating with Jolly and Daniel who they didn't know what they were doing. And I, you know, I went and set up a Western Union account. They started like figuring out how to source raw materials. And lo and behold... I make make an order via email, you know, not a PO. It was like, can you give me 15 of this and 10 of this? <laughs> and, you know, three weeks later it shows up and 
eight years later, they have 100 full-time employees and work with 300 contract workers. And we now work with 3,500 artisans around the world. So it definitely is the story that got orchestrated. Uh, I believe a moment of just cornering me and I could either sit down or stand up and go scared. And I'm glad I stood up and opened up my home and you know, the power of, of people coming together. It really is a story of people coming together. And it's also a story of, you know, when we link our success to other people's success, it, it's, it's very motivating. Mm. And it very much makes you want to drive forward even when the going gets tough because now other people are t- very much tied into to you. Have you read Andy Stanley's Visioneering before? Ah, Oh man, you need to read that book. Okay, I will. There's, there's a line in there that he says, "What God originates, He orchestrates." I love that. And That's uh, just what you said, true. you said reminded me of that. It's really it, that book had a really profound uh, impact on in me just relatively recently too. My sister gave it to me as a, um, and it was the the questions he uses in the book throughout the book are just really inspiring. Um, I'm write it down. I'm write it down. One of the things that you... Pre- yeah, Visioneering by Andy Stanley. Um, okay. One of the things that that you just proved and, and, and talk about going scared and that your perfect your courage does not have to be perfect, right? Is that we don't necessarily have to, to overcome seemingly insurmountable odds or challenges. We don't have to nearly lose life or limb or anything like that to be considered courageous. We all are courageous. Mm. Right now, there are people that are sitting there, you know, listening, maybe they're doing dishes, maybe they're at the gym listening, maybe Uh they are, you know, stuck in traffic, whatever. And they have an idea. They have something in them, right? There's, we all have something in us. I believe that we are all forged with something unique, mm-hmm. unique mm-hmm. in us. And we just have to begin pulling on it. So what mm-hmm. would you say to them to begin doing that? You know, what makes your heart race right now? Like probably their heart just started racing a little bit. Lean into that mm. instead of talking yourself out of it. Instead of writing, you know, it's like the pro con list. I feel like people just stay stuck on the the cons list instead of on the mm-hmm. pro list, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's that quote, my darling, what if I fall? But well, what if I fly? Mm. And imagining what it would mean to actually fly into this area of your life. And instead of letting fear be sort of a red flag, let it be the yellow flag that says, no, walk this way. Um, Come and see what's on the other side of that fear. And the only way through our fear is actually through our fear. You can't really walk around fear. You just kind of have to walk through it. And I think that that pitter-patter can happen many times throughout a day. It can happen when we decide to go ahead and strike up a conversation with our barista. It can happen when we decide to go ahead and go to a different neighborhood for lunch and to a restaurant that maybe no one looks like us. Um, It means we can decide to send our kids to a different school. Um, I think there's all of these little decisions that can make our heart beat a little faster. And then I think that it's just like being at the gym. You know, you start building your courage muscles when you just begin to start going scared and you lift those weights. And before you know it, 
that you're doing brave things that you never imagined yourself that you could possibly do. But we're all meant to to go scared and live brave lives. It's not for a select group of people. It's not just for the Martin Luther Kings of the world. It really is for each of us. And if we would each own that and pick up our slingshots and just go out, you know, then I do believe that is what causes our world to flourish and which is like this grand invitation that we're invited into. You know, we're invited um, to partner with God and bringing beauty into this world. And it's not an exclusive invitation. Thank goodness, you know, it really is for each of us. Well, Jessica, this has been a phenomenal conversation. We could keep going, uh, but alas, we are trying to both change the world. So there are things (laughs) that we need to do to do that. But I always conclude, and I do look forward to collaborating with you in the future and sharing. Yeah, I can't wait to read your book. And uh, I'll I'll let you know when it goes live. It's gonna it's actually gonna launch, like be available on February eighteenth, twenty nineteen. But we'll be doing pre orders and stuff before then. But um, but I'm excited about that's my wife's birthday. So cool. And so I always conclude things with the same three questions. Okay. So before we do that, I want to make sure that people know where they can go and connect with you and interact with you and hear more of your story and Noonday story and your artisan's stories. Yes, absolutely. My website is jessicahoniger2gs1ends.com. And that's where you can find my book and it's available everywhere for sale. And also I'm on Instagram a lot at Jessica Honiger. I'm on Facebook, a little bit of Twitter, but not too much. Um, but yeah, I love, I really love my community and it's been fun to grow the community, especially around this message of going scared. Yeah. So we will sure, be sure to link to all of that in the show notes so people can easily access that information. So the first question is if you could take any skill set that you currently possess and turn it into a superpower. So just dial it up to like an 11. What would it be? So I definitely have the gift of inspiring others towards action. Uh, if I could dial that up, uh, my business would be taken over the world for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. The, the, the next question is, what are three lies that we tell ourselves that prevent us from being the world changers that we know we are capable of being? I think that we tell ourselves that we're not enough, you know, that we're missing something. And so therefore we should just stay seated instead of move forward. I think that we tell ourselves that we are not worthy, that we're not worthy of connection. Um, And then I think we tell ourselves this lie that we're actually all alone in this world. And there's no way that we could actually um, connect with others in a way that we really long to, that we're just going to kind of stay feeling isolated and alone. Powerful. Those are definitely, especially the the worthiness lie. Those are, those are definitely big time lies that prevent us from realizing our full potential. Mm. The last question has to do with the title of a book. The title of the book is, is How Will You Measure Your Life? And as opposed to just asking you, how will you measure your life? Um, <laughs> I thought I'd, we'd spice it up a little bit. Okay. So if you were leaving, it's 100 years from now, and you are leaving instructions for a choreographer to, to design a dance routine. Oh my God, you're really keeping me on my toes. That... 
would answer that would be the answer to that question. What style of dance would it be? How many people? What tempo? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, Alvin Ailey is my favorite dance company, and that's an all African American dance company, modern. And they oftentimes dance to gospel music. It's just super beautiful. And, you know, I think I do love dance because you have to kind of lean into one another. You've got to sync up, you've got to work hard, you've got to train your body. And you've got to be vulnerable in order to share that that art with an audience. So I guess, I don't know, like for me, it is, does come down to, you know, am I loving God? Am I loving people? You know, is, but I don't know. I don't know what that looks like in dance. (laughs) It looks like, it looks like an African uh, dance troupe dancing to gospel music. All right. There is no perfect dancer. That's right. That's right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much. This has been a true uh, gift to visit with you today. And I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day. Too. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lawton Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters. We could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact. Mm-hmm.